Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. We have nine spectacular new releases from the Warner Archive Collection to your doorstep, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. We're going to talk about a Blu-ray at the head of the show and new DVDs to follow. So what are the nine new releases we're going to be talking about this week from the Warner Archive Collection? The first on Blu-ray, long-awaited, well-worth-the-wait, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. And from the Lord of the Apes to the Caveman of the Supers? Yeah, it's all primitive. Yes. Captain Caveman! And the Teen Angels. All the exploits of Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels have been collated together in a new two-disc set remastered from the Warner Archive Collection. Next, we move on to what we call contemporary rediscoveries, films from the 70s, the 80s, and even the early 90s that are arriving on DVD for the first time, including Sweet Revenge, The Beasts Are on the Streets, and indeed they are, Hurricane Smith, and Mitchell! Mitchell! With an exclamation point. Then we go back to the 1930s with a film that has never been on television, has been out of sight for decades, making its first appearance in literally 70-plus years, Three Faces East from 1930, starring Constance Bennett and Erich von Stroheim. Max! And we move a few years ahead and to the RKO Studios for a sextet of mysteries featuring the wonderful detective Hildegard Withers, portrayed by Edna May Oliver, Helen Broderick, and Zazu Pitts. So it's a big lineup, but nothing is bigger than when we have a Blu-ray to offer. Let's start talking about Greystoke. We've talked about Edgar Rice Burroughs yes. on the podcast before. This movie was quite a departure in the Tarzan series, which were always, you know, there's sort of two Tarzans. There's the right. literary Tarzan, and then there's and the film Tarzan. The goal on this film was to make as literary a Tarzan as possible. But still be a movie Tarzan. Often people say, like, well, this one is the book. It's, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. It's a film yeah. as opposed to a movie, and it touches on many of the important themes and from Tarzan, but it still uses some of the tropes for the movies. For instance, right. Jane is English. Jane is not from Baltimore. This, I believe, was Christopher Lambert's film debut. Am I wrong? Well, there can be only one, Dan. Highlander was before Greystoke? No. No. After. Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, in this film, Christopher Lambert made quite an impression. Yes. Because this was such a radical departure from any Tarzan incarnation that had been on the screen before. Or since. And really very refreshing. And almost, this is what's scary, folks, almost 30 years old from 1984 is when it was released. And beautifully crafted by Hugh Hudson, fresh from his triumphant... Uh, success with Chariots of Fire, and everyone who collaborated on this film really helped to create a masterpiece. And, and there were quite a few people from Chariots of Fire in this film. Very much so. But most interestingly, and this is perhaps the biggest Tarzan difference, is the film is very clearly divided into two segments. There's the Tarzan origin story, which, I mean, Dan and you oh, might agree, it's, that it's, is almost straight out of Burroughs. They, they, the, they took the essential Burroughs story yeah. and combined it with contemporary yes. anthropological understandings of the behavior of the great apes. And almost and, no dialogue. And sidebar, Rick Baker, oh. who was in charge of the apes and performed most of the ape stuff, 
really deserved whatever special Oscar exists yeah. for suit performances. Those suits hold up so well, and on the Blu-ray, it really brings it out. I mean, these are, and I'll say it, I'll say it, these are better than computer effects. Oh, yes, they you are. You know, like, there have been Don't recent Don't get me wrong, movies, Rise, which, Rise. I love yeah. to Rise, but yeah. this these is when they had good. to do it for real, and it's really the art form at its peak because yes. this was around the same time, you know, you had the beginning, you had Tron mm-hmm. the year before Greystoke, you know. So eventually CGI changed the way films were made. This is great cinematography, great music, a stunning, handsome production. And what's wonderful about the Blu-ray is we do have the commentary from Hugh Hudson. Oh, great. Uh, looks great. The colors are great. I mean, all... It's a magnificent details. Blu-ray. And, and really, I'm going to say a sumptuous cast. And it's wonderful. And, of course, they all uh, come in when the action moves to... Well, except for Ian Holm as England. Yes. Well, that's the bridge. Yeah. And when you get to England, what do you get? Well, you get Ian Holm and Ralph Richardson and David Suchet. Annie McDowell plays Jane, kind of. I should point out that uh, Sir Ralph Richardson passed away after the Uh, making of the film, and I believe had already passed away by the time the film was released. And received a posthumous yeah. Oscar nomination. And, it, and a deserved one, not oh, a sympathetic yeah. one. He's it's, really good it's in this. It's really a very moving performance, and, and he's he's wonderful in it. So, since we have so much to cover, yeah. we could spend a whole podcast talking yes. about Greystoke, but let's go but, to a very well, different... Let's but, go to another wild I, man here. I just, I just wanted to end this. If you have never seen this film, see it on the Blu-ray. Absolutely. And yeah. if you've seen it, see, see it, on it on the, the Blu-ray. Blu-ray. You can't go wrong. And so, uh, yes... There is film grain. (laughs) (laughs) It does exist. It's supposed to be there, folks. If you're living in the wild, it's important to keep up with your grain, (laughs) much like Captain Caveman. I'd just like to um, give a shout-out to, and I can do it no justice, but to Gary Owens, who starts out with his narration. Oh, the opening for Captain Caveman. The opening, I'll paraphrase it almost, Set free by the Teen Angels from his prehistoric block of glacier ice comes the world's first superhero, Captain Caveman. Now the constant companion to the Teen Angels, Brenda, Brenda, Dee Dee, and Taffy in their hilarious and sometimes scary missions. Get ready for Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. Now, Captain Caveman first premiered as a segment on Scooby-Doo's Laugh Olympics. He was a spin-off. star Laugh Olympics. Well, he was part of Laugh Olympics. Indeed, indeed. And, and the first number of cartoons you're seeing this were actually episodes on Laugh Olympics. Then the show was spun off on its own. Captain Caveman, you know, really was the uh, cartoon breakout success. He was a segment on Laugh Olympics, went on to then have his own show. Three years is an enormity in Saturday Morning Cartoon Land. Then they brought him back a number of times in various incarnations including later on where he worked in a newspaper with Wilma and Betty which was set back in the Stone Age. I think a lot of success is due to Mel Blanc's voice work and the wonderful design for Captain Caveman and the fact that he has a magical beard that's TARDIS-like. So usually (laughs) we are all about reconstructing original programs as they originally aired the trick here is that the Scooby-Doo Laugh Olympics are already on DVD right. without Captain Caveman. So Cavey's been a little bit of an orphan. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's the, almost like orphan it, Cavey. It's almost like he went into his beard and pulled this DVD collection out. So <laughs> what we've done is we've gone back to the original film elements and put together all of the 
Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels adventures that were part of the Scooby-Doo All-Star Laugh Olympics as well as the later standalone series, thus bringing you all these new adventures on two lovely DVDs, newly remastered and really singing the praises of each Teen Angel as well as Caveman himself. At this time, Hanna-Barbera was actually phasing out its use of the laugh tracks. Yeah. So on some of these episodes, you will hear laughs, and some of them you won't. There's not an error. That's the way they were. A very progressive filmmaker made a great film at Warner Brothers called Scarecrow. That filmmaker was Jerry Schatzberg. And a few years later, he ended up at MGM making a film with Stocker Channing and Sam Waterston called Sweet Revenge that got a very tertiary theatrical release and was really not seen much since then. So what we're doing here is we're Uh-oh. excavating some this rarities is... from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and Sweet Revenge is definitely a rarity and, and an interesting and film. This seems like a film that should be at a film school, like a, se- a solid 70s filmmaking because it's a portrait of a young woman who is at the edge of criminality but very smart and she has a very clear goal. She wants a Ferrari and she's going to get it by stealing other cars but she's going to buy this one legitimately. She's going to get it by stealing the same car over and yeah, over, that's and one and of over her plans. And the cynical viewpoint of the film was basically portrayed by its original production title which ended up not being usable they were going to call it the all-american girl basically Uh, questioning american values so revenge was a more benign title but mgm was down to making only three to four movies a year at that point putting more of their emphasis gotta buy a casino exactly the focus (laughs) was on the hotels fortunately that same year they had another little movie that changed the world called network and they had a lot to be proud of and the success of network and other films under the Dan Melnick production regime led to MGM re-embracing a larger production slate just a few years later. But some of those three or four movies a year hit it big and some of them kind of fell by the wayside. Sweet Revenge is one that fell by the wayside and was not really clean enough to become syndicated a lot. So it hasn't had a lot of television exposure and we're happy to bring it to DVD so we recommend that you take it And speaking of TV, Sam Waterston is terrific in this. And speaking of TV, the next film we're going to talk about was made for television. Hanna-Barbera Productions live action entries into television films were rare we've talked about some of them before like all uniformly excellent that's right Uh, we've hard case bell star and now the beasts are on the streets these are a treat the basic premise here is what happens if there is an accident at a safari park and the wild animals can escape matthew can you explain safari park to our younger viewers yes um, warner brothers jungle habitat (laughs) (laughs) well i uh my my uncle worked at uh six flags park in new jersey that was actually originally warner brothers jungle habitat right became the six flags and uh he worked at it at the time and would come back with stories about how people were constantly getting out of their cars or the monkeys set up the concept okay okay i'm sorry yeah i'm getting ahead because i'm so excited so let's talk about who's in the film it's carol okay, linley okay. philip michael thomas from miami vice 
a lot of very Free familiar yes, and a lot of very familiar actors from both the big and small screen. Okay, you basically took your own car through something which would be like San Diego they Zoo. Would, now. They would fence off an area and they would let the wild animals roam free, and you would drive through the wild Safe animals in your like car. you were on an African safari. Only you were in New Jersey, in New Jersey. or California. We don't really do that anymore. No, thankfully, because there are it's there not are quite safe. a few problems. No. Yes, it was not safe. The animals destroyed now, cars, now, or a lion would fall asleep in front of a car, and nobody would know what to no, do. No, this film has one of the greatest lead up to disaster openings oh, I've so ever seen. So good, intertwining on the highway between the rednecks and the truck driver with the hard condition who should just pull over. Yeah, the guy just needed to pull over a big uh, truck marked explosives, but you have no idea what's in it, and a hunter pulls up and sights him with the rifle. That is so creepy. And that leads to the accident that puts the beast on the streets. And let me tell you, people, if you're scared of lions and tigers, you should be doubly scared of ostriches. If you're dealing with animals, you think about the American animals that are in this film or animals coming from other countries, but you get to see animals in other countries in Hurricane Smith, which was filmed (laughs) down under in Australia. And you could almost call it Action Action Jackson Jackson Down Down Under. Under. Uh, As Carl Weathers stars in this 1992 film that was also at one time titled Dead on Delivery. Now, this is an example of Ozploitation, and we have a few of these. There was actually a recent book which used the the poster art in it, and uh, we also have Razorback, which is another good example of Ozploitation for these films that, for whatever reason, were shot in Australia and, uh, you know, but designed to be released to an international, mainly U.S. audience. And Hurricane Smith was released in the United States before it was released in Australia. Right. But it was basically like they were taking, you know, the urban exploitation films of the 70s, but placing it in Australia. You know, like a guy goes to try to find his sister and gets sucked into the Australian underworld. But Australia just looks so nice. And too. the Australian film industry was really Sunny growing yeah. post-Crocodile Dundee. This is a co-production with Village Roadshow. Village Roadshow is still a partner with Warner Brothers today. And how. And a very important partner. And this is one of the earliest Warner Brothers Village Roadshow partner uh, films. And uh, Carl Weathers fans have been longing for Hurricane Smith. Hurricane Smith has already been on our Warner Archive Instant streaming service, which we'll talk about more later on in the podcast. If you've seen Hurricane Smith on Warner Archive Instant, the gentleman has been given an upgrade because now he's in widescreen, 16 by 9. So you get to see Hurricane Smith in his original aspect ratio. It's almost like Oz has come to life by widening the screen. Now, we've already talked about this film, so we should only touch on it briefly. But But it's finally out. It's finally out. We're talking, of course, about... Mitchell! Mitchell! With Joe Don Baker and John Saxon, and I'm just going to say, pick yourself up some Mitchell. Well, Linda Evans, too. I just always mm-hmm. like to also, mention yes, that. Good point. It's, it's basically perhaps one of the 70s finest surly cop dramas. You'll get no argument from me. And has quite a, a lot of renown for its unique qualities. And, and this one is 16 by 9 again, George, because you, you were right. mentioning this. There have been other Mitchells out, 4 by 3 This is newly Unauthorized copies. This is official. And to go with something that you haven't been able to see forever for decades, 
We have a 1930 Warner Brothers release that has never been on television and has been out of view for decades, but has now been newly mastered, and we're happy to bring it to DVD for its first appearance literally since it came out in 1930, and that is Three Faces East, which stars Constant Bennett as Agent Z1 and Eric von Stroheim (laughs) and the original William Holden. (laughs) Which I think is very, very important. Just as there was an original Harrison Ford, there was an original William Holden. There is another actor, William Holden. In 1930, the William Holden that we know from Sunset Boulevard was about 11. But a handsome 11. But this is a World War I spy drama that I think is very effective. Oh, it's great. uh, It deserved to be seen. There were various reasons why... It had been held from public view. And, and this was known as a film that was very, very hard to see. When you look it up on IMDb, there are very few people who've written anything and they write it from memory. That's right. And, and they get a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah, they we, do. We, Don't believe the hype. Part of our mission statement at Warner Archive Collection is to unearth the gems that are locked in our vault. Yeah. Whether they're locked there physically or they're locked there for clearance reasons, we have unlocked this. We've knew mastered it. Slayed the beast. And uh, von Stroheim, of course, being one of the most legendary directors of all time, was also quite a magnificent actor. A great actor. And and his performance here is got such a reserve. It makes you think of, of course, all of his other performances yes. later on. But uh, it, it, One in particular. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> of Sunset Boulevard. Yes. And I love Constance Bennett in this movie, She's too. Really, She's really yeah. feisty. I mean, the basic setup is... A woman German spy is sent undercover into the home of the Lord Admiral during World War I to get troop movements. And her handler, her immediate handler, who she doesn't know, she doesn't know, is also stationed in the Lord Admiral's house, which is the Eric von Stroheim character. And this Agent Z1 is very interested in getting to know the top of the German spy ring because right. she's seemingly enamored of him. Now, it's interesting. It's not a pre-code picture. No. But... Early talkie. We do clearly see that Agent Z1 and Valdar engage in connubial uh, under, relations. Undercover there are, relations? It, yes. It's the difference between you what what would be... A, a, you know, we have, we have hundreds of films that were made before the production code yeah. was enforced, but very few that qualify truly to be marketed as Forbidden Hollywood right, or as a but, pre-code. But, it's just, but there are elements oh, in yes. the plot they without like, question. like, oh, yes, people were allowed to have sex in 1930. A yeah. very <laughs> beloved and famous film historian and professor who taught a film class at NYU that everybody wanted to get into, uh, William K. Everson. Bill Everson was one of the people that actually had a print of this movie and used to show it in his class every year. So everybody I knew who had seen this film had only seen it because they had been in Everson's class. So there are denizens and denizens of film cineast extraordinaire out there who were part of those classes who know of this film. And then there are people who might have seen it in 1930, but we're changing all that by making (laughs) it available for you to buy at our website, warnerarchive.com, and we're sure you're going to love Three Faces East, and we're thrilled to bring it to you. And it is only one of several unearthed rarities and gems that you can look forward to coming in the future from Warner Archive. Let's talk about Hildegard Withers. <laughs> Let's solve the mystery of why Hildegard Withers has never been on DVD. Has, why? why? My yeah. word. Well, we needed to create new masters. Ah. ah because love. the last ones mystery were made solved. in 1983. So... These six films are put together on two 
dual-layer DVD-9 discs. So you get great value, six movies for a very, very reasonable price, and six enchanting mysteries, the first three of which star Edna May Oliver. And then we go to Helen Broderick. And then Zazu Pitts. And the thread that runs through all six films is, of course, James, James Gleason as Inspector Piper. He's fantastic. He's the glue. And Edna May Oliver, we've talked a little bit about her in some of the Wheeler and Woolsey movies. Yeah. She, of course, was wonderful in Little Women. People who are diehard film fans of the 30s know her well. But this was really a series built around her and uh, had great success with Penguin Pool Murder was the first based on a book. By Stuart Palmer. And then and, there were others. And, and I don't think they expected it to be such no, a success no. because the end to Penguin Pool Murder, in, I don't want to give anything else, but there's an end there. And then we roll the, back the relationship it. a little bit. This is uh, the first yeah. of RKO's series films. Yeah. Really? And, uh, yeah. And the uh, cool. author of the books, Stuart Palmer, was uh-huh. so enamored of Edna May Oliver, he later paid tribute to her in a later Hildegard Withers book. Uh-huh. I just want to mention, as a fan of the greatest film of all time, Mitchell? the first and second film uh, in the Hildegard Withers series has a nice sort of back-to-back co-star thing because the first film has Robert Armstrong and the second film has Bruce Cabot. And isn't that about the movie called Ganikinok? (laughs) (laughs) If you live in a backwards universe. But yes, two of the stars of King Kong. I mean, this is the studio where King Kong paid the bills for all the other films that were made. But this series was so enchanting and so delightful that even when Edna May Oliver chose not to proceed into other films, that they had great people to follow up. And Uh the other three films are just as Wonderful. Why don't we talk about the names of each of the films? Okay, and a a tiny bit about each one because, I mean, Penguin Pool Murder Penguin Pool Murder, the title gives it away. It's Murder in an Aquarium. And (laughs) by, okay, as a museum fan, and I am one. They don't make museums like that anymore. Oh my gosh, I so, and it was a wonderful set, but it really felt like a 30s museum. Yeah. And uh, and an aquarium, and she's a school teacher, and she's got her little kids with her, and there's, of course, a murder, and she rises to the occasion to become kind of, you know, like Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Wrote. There are similarities, and then we have murder. Murder on the blackboard, in which case uh, the murder happens at Hildegard with her school. school. I do not want to go to her school. Her school, except for Hildegard. Oh, my God. Uh, horrible people at that school. It's, the kids are good. Yeah. But, boy, the principal, the janitor, yeah. the other teachers. It's like 24. What a nightmare. It's like everyone in government. Yes. After Murder on the Blackboard, Hildegard takes a well-deserved vacation to Catalina yeah. Island oh. in Murder on a Honeymoon, but we can see already from the title that something happens It's on a way. veritable nightmare of a honeymoon. Oh, and boy. it's also hint, hint. It's fascinating for me. Having been to Catalina recently, how much Catalina in 1935 was exactly the same. That's a well-preserved place. The trust that controls the island has tried to and very successfully kept its character and charm, and it's verifiable in this film. Yes. Hats off to them. Then we have Helen Broderick and Murder on the Bridal Path. Actually, very interesting little side note that the Bridal Path is uh, about horse riding in Central Park. The last horse stable closed just outside of Central uh, Park recently, yeah. so you can't do that anymore. My favorite Helen Broderick performance is a supporting uh, role. She did the same year uh-huh. uh, in Swing Time with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and she played opposite Victor Moore in like the supporting roles. Oh. But this was a chance for her to be the star, and she was a New York stage star uh-huh. and uh, a great comedian. She's really forgotten today, so it's great to see her remembered. 
And next we have The Plot Thickens, 1936, which has Zazu Pitts taking on the role. And an immense plot. Yes, yes. It certainly thickens. And then we end with 40, 40 naughty, naughty girls. Which I thought was very engaging because it combines the murder mystery with the backstage comedy. And we were just talking about that the other podcast. Yes. I wish, of course, there were more Hindelgard Withers movies. Well, and there, there was actually much was one made for television with, that we don't own with, with Eve Arden. Arden. But uh, wow. this 40 Naughty Girls was a nice way to go out of the series because it's really is a fun, fun flick. I almost felt they were on a date together on this one. They were. Like that their relationship had, you know, they had, had gone, gone back. back. Yeah. They yeah. got back together. Now, but earlier in the podcast, we talked about the fact that Hurricane Smith is part of the hundreds and hundreds of films now available for streaming as part of our Warner Archive Instant streaming service. And there are two-week free trials available. If you go to warnerarchiveinstant.com, you can sign up today. You can watch films in HD 1080p. A great many of the films we have available on the service are in HD, but we have hundreds of features and lots of television programming, and we're adding new content constantly. Let's talk about some of the new releases that have been just added to the streaming service. I'm just going to come out with my recommendation, which is one of the quirkiest of the pre-coders, which is Three on a Match. With oh. three of the finest ladies I have to a ever grace the silver screen, Joan Blondell, Betty Davis, and Anne Dvorak. And it also has the great Warren William. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for a couple of guys named Humphrey Bogart and Alan Jenkins. <laughs> I, I finally got a chance to watch in HD Night Flight. That was great. How about uh, that Helen Hayes, huh? Oh, my. And then another film that was out of distribution for decades, just unearthed and rescued by the wonderful people in Warner Brothers' legal department that freed it up. We made a deal with the underlying author's estate. It had been out of distribution since 1942. And now it has been mastered in HD and is available so you get to see Clark Gable, Robert Montgomery, Helen Hayes, The Barrymores, Myrna Loy, Night Flight. It's an all-star extravaganza. Great film. My pick uh, for the uh, Warner Archive streaming is a title that we added to the Warner Archive collection on DVD, but I wasn't able to see it in HD until it got added to Warner Archive Instant Streaming, and that is Athena, starring Jane Powell and Debbie Reynolds and Vic Damone and Edmund Perdom, and a wonderful, crazy musical about a family of health nut kooks that uh, bewitch and beguile a staid lawyer played by Edmund Perdom and a singer played by Vic Damone with a great score by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine in spectacular stereophonic sound and beautiful widescreen. So my pick is Athena the Nature Girl with the body beautiful. I'm going to give a quick shout out to 13 women in HD. All 13 of them. All people who listen to this would like it because it really is the first, I'll call it, serial slasher film. And if you want to have a Peg and Twistle film festival in your house, (laughs) 13 women is the way to do it. All right. I believe it's time for letters. Oh, boy. We've got letters. We've got stacks and stacks of letters. We've got some international letters. First of all, we're going to go all the way to Quebec. This is from uh, Eric in Point Claire, and he sends oh, us crayon. Oh well my! Done, Eric. And it's on construction paper. This and is a first. Double points. See how and fast. It's very long. Oh my God! Read quickly. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> dear Wack, I've been meaning to write to you for a long time now, and finally found the time to do it. I've been a fan since your launch and have actively participated on your Facebook page and listened to your podcast for as long as it's been around. 
You guys have been doing a fantastic job, and I don't think you get told that often enough. 1,600 catalog DVD releases in four years seems more like fantasy than reality, and sometimes I have to pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. Ow! In case you were wondering what my dreams are like... Oh, no. And I know you were... I'm married to Rita Hayworth and watching Orson Welles' original cut of The Magnificent Ambersons while being served drinks by Bogart, who for some reason is my personal bartender. He'd be an excellent bartender. Anywho, I have two questions for you. Are there any plans to release Terror in the City from 1964? Yes, a.k.a. Pie in the Sky. This is a film that was originally released by Allied Artists and ended up uh, part of the Seven Arts Library and Seven Arts bought Wanda Brothers. So we own it. We're just trying to untangle all of the legal files so that we can get it out. But we do have the film elements and it is something that we've been planning to do. So it is not pie in the sky to expect pie in the sky. His next question is regarding our sizable library of 90s horror films, namely Rockula, Alligator 2, The Borrower, House 4, Necronomicon, Night Terrors. The Granny, The Howling, New Moon Rising, Last Gasp, and The Outpost, a.k.a. Mind Ripper. None of these films has seen releases since the VHS days. Are there any plans to release them? Even just release of one of them would make me happy. Thanks again, and keep fighting the good fight. Well, we thank Eric for his question, and almost all of those films either are not ours or were ours but are no longer ours. So we can't release what isn't ours, but what is ours we will release, and you can look forward to it. So we thank Eric for it. And a shout-out to Eric for uh, his kind words regarding our efforts because we're a very small group of people. Everybody works really hard to bring you great DVD releases, great titles that are on our streaming service, and anything that is a compliment to our staff here is deeply appreciated. So thank you, Eric. All right. Now this one comes all the way from sunny England, Par Avion. So this is our Commonwealth special. Yes. And I enjoy that the Royal uh, Mails has a big stamp on it, celebrating prostate cancer, delivering first-class clear for men. National Health Service number one. (laughs) All right. Here we go. This is from Peter. Hi, Peter. In Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Oh, Newcastle. Dear WAC, greetings from the UK. Although I am unable to purchase titles from your website, I thoroughly enjoy listening to your regular podcasts. I always look forward to hearing the informed, incisive views of D.W. Ferranti, Matt Patterson, and master of the home video universe, George Feltenstein. I was wondering if you could shed some light on the current status of the rare 1932 MGM movie, Letty Linton, starring Joan Crawford and Robert Montgomery. Will we ever see this classic title released on DVD? (laughs) <laughs> Other favorites I would like to see on DVD include Crawford's early talkie, Montana Moon, from 1930, and 1951 MGM courtroom drama titled Unknown Man, starring Walter Pidgeon, and featuring a debut film score, score by legendary MGM musical orchestrator Conrad Salinger. It would also be nice to see the movie that introduced, quote, Guy Kibbe Eggs to the world, <laughs> First Nationals, 1935 title, Mary Jane's Pa. Keep up the great work. I hope WAC will be made available to UK residents in the near future. Peter. Well, we have to thank Peter for such a nice very kind detail. letter. Um, and good taste. To yeah. answer the question of Letty Linton was subject to one of the most famous court cases in history where MGM was sued and lost for plagiarism. And this is studied oh. in court. This is not a corporate secret. This is a a case that is studied in law. Textbook law. People who yeah. don't know anything about movies know about this plagiarism case. And basically, Letty Linton was very similar to a play called Dishonored Lady. 
and uh, Lady Linton starred Joan Crawford, and uh, Dishonored Lady was a play that was based on a real-life incident, and uh, the authors of the play felt that MGM had infringed upon their play, and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and MGM lost, and uh, Lady Linton has not been able to be distributed since then. And uh, everybody I know that has gone to law school has, knows about the Letty Linton case. <laughs> so what our attorneys are trying to do is to make arrangements with the heirs to Original the play's play. author, authors, there were two of them, uh, their estates, uh, to make arrangements to free up Letty Linton. And efforts have been ongoing for many many years. I've been working with the library for many, many years, and most of those many years we've been working on trying to free up Letty. So there are people here who are on the case. It just, sometimes it takes a very long time to undo these things. It took us 18 years to bring Popeye to home video. It's taking us a lot longer for Letty Linton, but Three Faces East is now coming your way. Night Flight mm. is now available on Warner Archive Instant. Letty Linton is probably one of the hardest nuts to crack, but we intend to crack it. Now, Montana Moon has been remastered and will be coming out next year. Great. From Warner Archive Collection, and you'll get to see Johnny Mac Brown and Joan Crawford and a Western. Ooh, uh, JMB. There you go. And uh, we would also say The Unknown Man would be a likely release from Whack in the future. And it's very surprising to have anybody request Mary Jane's Pa. Not exactly at the top of our release list, but it is freely uh, available for our selection. So the next time we well, put together a Guy Kibbe collection, yeah. we'll have or to Or a Guy include... Kibbe cookbook. Yeah, guy, Ki guy Kibbe eggs. I mean, Look that... it up, people. It's fascinating. <laughs> That so alone. those nine releases plus references to Guy Kibbe and Alan Jenkins always make for a fun podcast. Thank you, listeners. We thank you, yes. listeners, for tuning in for this. Try tuning in on your internet. It's very interesting. Yes. Also, Edgar Kennedy is the first two Hildegard Withers movies. There you oh. go. Kennedy the cop always gets his man. Good thing so we got that So on in. that note, please look for the next Warner Archive Collection podcast. I am George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Have a great day.